Welcome to a new episode of the Life Science Gets Together podcast. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite topics, digital business models, especially about the question, is it possible to patent digital business models? I looked into this topic uh, way back into the 90s uh, when I was a student at the university and working for a research organization. And um, the answer in the 90s was quite simple. Um, it's not possible to patent anything around digital. It's not possible to patent code. Um, when I got interested in 2015 in digital health, I looked into this topic a second time and came to the same conclusion. It's not possible. So when Astrid reached out to me with the idea of looking into this topic a third time, um, to be honest, um, I thought, yeah, well, probably I will come to the same conclusion. It's not possible to patent anything. Um, but I agreed that it makes sense to, to, to at least look at it the third time. So when we had the preparation call with Professor Wurzer, um, How should I say it? Um, I think uh, it describes best if I say it's a, I had a life-changing, game-changing, um, enlightening revelation during this call and realized how little I know about this topic. So I'm very happy today to have Astrid Wallert and Professor Woods on the call. And especially uh, thank you very much, Astrid, that you had this great idea so that we get a chance to learn more about uh, the reality of patenting digital business models. Astrid, over to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, it's really great to be on this patent podcast episode with you. So just a brief introduction for people who don't know me. I'm a partner and head of research at Falcon Digital Investments. So we've been previously known at Cytel Ventures. Um, so we're currently undergoing a rebranding there. And this is where I'm uh, on my day-to-day -day activity. I source, screen and analyze potential investment opportunities um, in the blockchain space. My background, however, is very heavy on IP strategy. And by the way, it's a very common misunderstanding that VCs will only look uh, for a number, higher number of patents in an investment opportunity, uh, or at least the ones that know about IP will actually rather look for a, a sort of a realistic and reasonable mix of all um, their uh, sort of asset classes that are out there in this space, so really a mix of those specifically tailored to your business. And IP strategy doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, patent all of it. Um, it's actually a very uh, big strategic field that basically evaluates um, the use of a range of IP instruments. So patents are part of it, yes, but there's also copyright and the licensing strategy that goes with that. There are also trademarks and also very notably trade secrets. And uh, when it comes to Patenting, most of us will be aware that um, in order to patent a technology, it must be novel, uh, it must be inventive, it must have an industrial application and must be of a patentable subject matter. However, there's a lot of confusion out there when it comes to patentability of software and even more so when it comes to patent and digital business model, which I need to be very honest, was also news to me uh, until a few months ago when I first had a call with Professor Wurzer. And I was actually really fascinated uh, hearing about this, but it immediately sort of uh, highlighted to me a great danger in there for a lot of um, startups out there, but also for established companies, to be honest, what this topic actually means, um, what implication it has 
um, for their own IP strategies. So it's a really pleasure to uh, welcome Professor Butzer here uh, with us at, on this podcast and um, to hear all about this uh, exciting topic. Yeah, thank you very much for having me here. Um, my name is Alexander Wurzer. I'm a professor for the role of IP within the digital transformation for more than 15 years now. <laughs> and, <clears throat> um, yeah, what should I say? I, I, for, from my perspective, it's funny uh, to think that uh, especially digital business models could not be protected via patents because that's, so to speak, the cornerstone of uh, so many IP strategies, which can obviously be seen and are analyzed and are documented and published. And we have trainings with the IPI help desk in Europe, in China, in, in Latin America. We, we teach that with the European Patent Office. So I'm, I'm professor at the Center for IP Studies at the University of Strasbourg, which is the central education institution for European patent attorneys and to a certain extent I'm a little bit shocked how big that gap is between what we do so to speak in the IP academic world and and what is at the end outside in the real world where where really the decisions are made where the money is made um, how how big is the gap between the two thinking styles and I'm very happy and thankful for the idea from Astrid Wollard to to bring me together with uh, Mr. Sorschner and uh, that I have the opportunity to explain a little bit what's going on in that yeah maybe strange IP world um, because I guess it's it's very very important that the different communities and here is the, the life science community um, understands a little bit better that it makes sense to make at least a little deep dive in the topic when it comes to uh, decisions, uh, business decisions and, and investments and, yeah, to, to real issues. Um, many thanks for the opening words, Professor Wurzer. Um, I have uh, one question at the beginning. Um, as uh, I start with, started with, uh, it's not possible uh, to patent anything around the topic digital. Uh, how is the reality when we look at uh, digital life science? Uh, what's going on in that space on the patent side? Yeah, so <clears throat> we, I have uh, received today the latest figures from the colleagues from the EPO, from your patent office. And there is a, a, a fascinating study, which I will later on put on uh, the IP Business Academy, which is a, which, which is a, um, a blog uh, on the protection of digital business models, which we run from SAPI. And the latest figures are tremendous. So you can, so the, the, Patent applications on four on the on the fourth digital um, industrial revolution are skyrocketing, and they 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 overall so it's 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 unbelievable. They are really disconnected now to all the other technologies, how they go um, uh, in the height, and um, we 
the the problem with we have, which we have is not that we have not sufficient or not enough patent applications. Um, this is enormous. We have a, a rising figure here from forty five percent over the last three years, and it's even it, it goes more dynamic now than ever. Um, that's not the issue. The problem is that uh, the patent applicants not coming from uh, Europe. So, mo so Europe uh, is not really represented in the patent applications compared to how European companies, um, for example, in the life science uh, era, typically uh, represented in overall technologies. So what we see is a tremendous lack of patent activities in digital fields and especially at the protection of, let's say, economically relevant digital objects like use cases, customer journeys, um, uh, user experience, uh, business models, apps, all these economically important digital objects. So we have here a huge lag compared to what's um, America, as so United States, based companies filing in Europe and especially also Asian companies filing here in Europe. Uh, let me ask one question um, to dig a little bit deeper into the reality of patenting a digital model. How does that work? Because uh, I got several times the information, it's it's impossible. You can't do that. So how when when, when I have an idea, um, where should I start? What 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 is necessary to file uh, a digital patent, or what are doing the US based and the Chinese companies differently? What what route are they going? Can we please talk a little bit about the basics? <laughs> of course, of course. Um, so the starting point is that many people even don't understand what a business model means. And they are confused. They confuse the term business process with business model. So that's that's the starting point of the misunderstanding. And unfortunately, we have a kind of business process patent in the United States. And once they hear they hear business and patent, they start to be confused. Okay, so first thing is, um, I'm not talking about business process patents. I'm talking about patenting business models. So what is a business model? A business model describes how you run your business. Uh, we have two parts in general. Okay, we have the resource part, which reflects the resource-based view. So, your value chain, your resources, your the the way how you create the customer benefit, or let's say the value the value proposition, and we have the market side, which tells us which market position do you have, uh, so how do you deliver anything, okay, and uh, how you communicate your unique selling proposition. So this reflects the market based view, and. Typically, a business model is the trick how to create something which somebody wants and you make money with it. So, um, so you create a profit. And so you, you have a balance between that both sides. And a digital business model now uses digital technologies on some of these four sectors. Okay, so the value creation, the core competencies, one, two, three, the um, market position, the way you deliver, and 
uh, for how you communicate. Maybe in one of these sectors or in, in, in more than one sector or in all sectors, you're using digital technologies. That's why we call it a digital business model. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you use digital technologies, you use technologies. So and what is a patent? A patent is, a, let's say, a, a new combination of, a, of solving a technical issue with technical means. That's it. So that means, uh, let's say you uh, collect. So, so now and 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 now we 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 need that description. We need the question: What is your trick? Why is your di this business model different from others? Um, which technologies do you need? Uh, do you use? Which data you do? You, do you have access to certain data? How do you get the data? How you mix the data? How you process, analyze the data to deliver something which is now different from, from anything else before. So how you do optimizations, how you do suggestions, um, um, how you improve um, um, things. Yeah, And that are all technical questions which are solved with uh, digital technologies. So, and when there is any keyhole, let's say a certain access to data, okay, even when you are not allowed for the moment, maybe to, you're not allowed to collect that data, but you could patent it um, saying you, once you are allowed or once you have that sensor or once you have access to that data, you would combine it in this and that way and deliver this and that value to your customers. So, and the way how you do that, once it is critical in terms of when I patent that, nobody else would be able to process the data in that way. So then you have protected via patent your, your business model. So it's the, it's the digital technical implementation of the critical aspects, how you make profit in your business model. That means other would be able to do something, let's say, similar. It's, it looks um, similar. But finally, they have not the critical competitive advantages which you patented. And so you are sustainable and the others not. And this is exactly how we patent um, the way how we make business. This is really fascinating. But I'm wondering, for example, for a like young upcoming startup, it's sometimes even difficult to just look for any kind of patented technology out there in patent databases like Spassnet or Patent Scope or Google Patents, whatever is out there also as free resources. But how do you actually start even looking for a digital uh, business model? Yeah, that's again a big, big misunderstanding. <laughs> that means many people, especially, let's say, technological people, right, coming out of the university, are full of that technological knowledge and um, totally driven of the way of, of their technology, okay? And the first thought is, how can I patent that? So, um, but that is exactly the opposite what I'm talking about. Um, uh, when, once you become digital, um, you become complex, you become big, You have uh, extreme big systems, which are extreme complex. You have interdependencies. And so that means once you, when you start with technology, that leads you to nowhere. And that is exactly that kind of patterning what we see um, out of 
misunderstanding, frustration, I don't know. Uh, people patent meaningless, ridiculous technical solutions for technical problems which definitely not exist or purely artificial. So that's not the way how you should do it. Okay. Um, what you do is you come from your customer. That's a business model. That means you need a, a customer. And a customer should have a, should feel anyhow that you do something for him or for 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 the customer. So and that means you you um, you analyze your use cases. So why are you able to realize that use case, and what what makes that different from others? So that means um, we have a wonderful example. Uh, I guess. Um, everybody can un understand that, okay? So I don't make it too technical to understand how that game works. And that's that's maybe the most important thing. It's a game, okay? It's not. It's nothing real. As long as you um, fulfill the legal um, provisions and as long as it is physically or chemically, so on, on natural science, realizable, that's it. It's, it is not necessary that you do it, that you can do it, that you want to do it. The cornerstone is that you want to have a forbidding right against third parties. So, and the next thing is you have to understand your use case. So, and then you, you, you have to protect a use case and nothing else. So, and what I try to explain to people is, so how do you, plain artif how do you patent artificial intelligence? Let's say you have anyhow a life science business model and within you have an optimization or a process routine which runs with artificial intelligence. So the typical technical approach is now, oh, whoa, 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 uh, where come the training data from and which algorithms do they need? So no, you even don't mention artificial intelligence when you want to patent it. Okay, we have a wonderful example at the EPO. It's the inventor of the year from 2019. So this is a guy which comes from Norway. And the Norwegian, they have these this farms for salmon. And they have a an, an, an problem with parasites. And these parasites um, live uh, on, the, on the skin of that salmon. So... And he patented a method and a, a gadget, okay, which uh, is a laser canoe, which he dumps into that uh, form. And this laser cannon is able to identify on, on a swimming salmon, okay, they're quite, quite um, uh, fast. On a swimming salmon identifies the... Um, this uh, yeah this pesticide this this, this parasite um, focus the canoe on it and uh, make some precise shot which is focused one or two millimeters ahead of the skin of the swimming salmon um, to kill the the parasite so this is a patent the question is how are they doing how are you doing that. Okay, which software could solve that? It's very simple. The, the inventor of the year is explaining you this is machine learning. And this only an HI, um, AI um, solution is able to do that. But this is not written in the patent. For what? AI is like a, is like a screw. It's, it's simply a technology which works. Nobody, nobody is in doubt that it works. Okay, so you don't have to explain that. 
explain me what you're doing with it. What are you doing? What is the use case? What makes you, what differs you? What is here new? What is inventive? How you apply AI? Yeah. And don't, ex don't describe AI. And this is the way how you should think. Um, um, it's not a technical question per se, especially when it comes to digital solutions. Um, uh, it's the it's in a combination of existing solutions which makes you unique, and you are able to provide a totally new inventive use case, which which creates benefit. Don't mention people, okay? Just mention technologies. So here we don't mention the salmon itself. It's just that we want to kill that parasite. That's it. Uh, and then you have your technical teaching in terms of um, what we need to declare in a patent. That's it. But you won't never come to such a patent when you start uh, with your AI. One question from my side, um to just uh, reiterate if I, I got it right. So my thinking so far was um, when my team has an idea, we work on it, we find a solution, uh, we produce the solution, we bring it to, let's say, minimum prototype stage that it really works. And uh, then we have a look on the patent side, if it's possible to file a patent. Um, so, But when I'm listening to you, it sounds to me like uh, that's not necessary. So we just need to have the idea and uh, we can already start looking into on the, on the patent side because you mentioned, uh, don't mention the AI. So is it really so that we just uh, need to sit down and uh, uh, put the idea together and then we can go, we're good to go? Okay, so nowhere in the patent laws in that, on that globe is written that you have to do what you're patenting, okay? Um, for, for what, yeah? So you can say the, the early laser patents, the early microwave patents, these guys were, not, guys were not able to produce a product which works really, okay? The early lasers, that was a laboratory experiment, okay, not a product. And even that, um, we have many, many patents where the one, the guy who patented is not able to produce that, to do that. For what? That's not the point. So... Um, as long as it is doable and you convince your examiner that it can be done, that's it. Of course, it's a game, again. And don't, don't confuse it with reality. And that means, um, let, let, for example, okay, to make it as clear as possible, we have at the moment a um, big, big discussion out there on how to apply 5G. So I would say... 50% of all thinkable 5G application use cases are already patented. How can you do that when 5G is not existing at the moment? Of course, you, you, you imagine what you could do once you have such, a, um, such a, a network with such an ability. That's it. And you have certain advantages because that kind of characteristic is or will be available. And out of that, you get your new and inventive um, uh, use case solution based on a 5G network. Whether that exists or not doesn't play any role here. That means 
it is, um, I would say your, your procedure is, is not bad per se. You can do that if you have the time, if you are not in competition. As soon as you are in competition with others, and as soon as these others understand that the one, we have the first to file principle. First to file means the one who is the first who thought his things through and was able to write it down will get the patent. And that means you should be as fast as possible thinking the digital trans understanding which kind of exclusivity print, how, how that works. Look at Ping and Good Doctor um, from, uh, from China, a unicorn, uh, the, one of the biggest insurance companies in the world, but at the same time, one of the biggest patent applicants on that globe. And they think the things through and make the patterns. Whether this is doable, it is legal, this is not the point. As long as you fulfill the provisions of the patent law, you will get your patent. Let me get it straight in my mind. So it basically means what I need is uh, an investor with a deep pocket uh, on one hand. On the other hand, I need a smart team who can think things through to the end, especially on the use case side. And I need a smart patent attorney. And we don't need to, to put any other work in it than coming up with a concept. We don't need to put it in reality. We can start filing patents when we have a thought-through concept. Is that right? Uh, you described the business model of intellectual ventures, which is one of the biggest patent funds in that world, mm -hmm. uh, which has a, um, uh, a funding of, I guess, six, six billion. And this is exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And you describe the business model from, um, from Signify, the former Philips lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they go use case by use case. They, they, They analyze that. They make um, uh, big shows, invite people uh, to think what could be done with light in the future. They patent it and then they license that out. Okay. okay that are the biggest. So they have, it, it, right now they have, um, so it's a case study on, on, on IP Business mm -hmm. Academy. So it's, it's well documented. Look at that. Um, it's a, a huge licensing program. We have more than 1,000 licensees. So nearly each and every LED manufacturer on that globe is licensed uh, at Signify. Because when you want to realize a certain use case, you will find out that it is already patented from uh, Signify as long as you use LEDs for it. So and um, so this is a this is a business. So this is how the game is is played. Uh, how the big boys play it. And when, when we go to the startups, I don't think it is necessary always having that deep pockets. This is, this is a, the deep pocket game is for the big boys. But um, once you are smart and clever and, uh, and you are able to think things through before others, uh, you will find the classical keyholes. In terms of this is a central position. Once you have that, a certain 
area is not anymore accessible. And that's what you're looking for. That's the patent which, which has really value because it is a cornerstone of doing that business. And typically it is a way of getting data or a, a certain data model or the way of using data. And again, whether you have access at the moment or not is not the point. Uh, as we understand now, uh, it is enough to, to think a world in which this um, data would be available and um, via and, and it is physically or, or yeah it is simply doable to get that data and now explain me what what which kind of use case would you realize with that mm. and this is per definition new and inventive okay um, especially because the data is, is isn't existing so far yeah but when it is clear that it could be done then it is like a screw okay I accept. We, we could produce that data. Um, and now tell me what you could do with it. How can you improve? How can you suggest? How can you optimize? Um, whatever, reduce transaction costs and so on. And um, I guess this is really the chance when you, when you think in the right way, you can really create valuable patterns, which, which are at least a bargaining chip in the future that you say, but I have exactly that patent. Yeah. For example, IBM right now is suing Airbnb in the States uh, for what? Uh, based on an 18 years old patent, 18 years old patent. Um, and this patent describes a method to display on a digital platform individual advertisement. So 18 years ago, that, that, that was any net. That, was, that wasn't the, the, the today internet. Yeah. And they had never dreamed of a, of, a, of a platform like Airbnb. But Airbnb is exactly doing that. It's a use case. And they do that and they, go to, they have their IPO, their initial public offering, and they negotiate for five years now. And now IBM says, no, no more. Uh, yet now we go to court. And um, that means um, it is important to understand what will go, what, what will happen, what could happen, and which kind of exclusivity right or forbidding right of exclusivity position I would like to have in such a digital transformed ecosystem. Yeah, I think this is also something that is really, um, in terms of strategy, very important to consider for a lot of software companies. For example, I work a lot with open source software companies or open source uh, projects, and they are of the firm belief that, oh, we don't want to do have anything to do with patents because they're evil and bad. We want to keep free and open innovation, and we can only achieve that if we don't patent things and only open source uh, things, which is a very strong misunderstanding, right? Because basically, um, it's basically to keep it really open and free, you also have to have a patent strategy to guarantee this sort of freedom and openness to, to, to other um, companies. Exactly. That's, that's a big, big misunderstanding again um, of, of the patent law or, or in general of intellectual property. Um, I, I explain it in that way. Okay. I'm living here in Munich in Schwabing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's one of the hot uh, areas in, in Munich. So we pay here, I would say, around 2,000 euros for a square meter estate. 
And let us assume on the other side of the street is an estate which there's no building on it. Okay. And a pedestrian comes to me and I say, you know what? Um, I think you could use it. Just use it. It's nothing is on it. Okay. No fence. So you can, you can just use it. So sooner or later, this guy will ask me whether I own that estate or not, because only ownership gives me the right um, uh, to, um, to motivate, to motivate a third party to use that estate. That's very simple. As long as I'm not owning it, it's ridiculous that I invite somebody um, uh, to use that estate, this piece of land. Of course, it is ridiculous. So, and it is the same thing with intangibles. When I have not uh, made sure that I'm owning something, I cannot invite people to use it. Oh, I can, but I'm not sure whether, the, whether there are other ownership rights on it. Okay, so people invest in a totally unsecure situation. And sooner or later, somebody comes, has a piece of paper in his hand. It's a pattern and said, thank you very much for developing that solution. Um, but I, I, I am owning it. Yeah. So and that means behind all big open source projects is also a big fund, a patent fund which helps to keep that thing free of third-party rights. That's very simple. So open innovation is behind Linux. And, and this is a multi-billion dollar fund, which is in, um, which buys uh, patents, which offers free, uh, free licenses to third parties, to users, and make sure that nobody can come up and say, I have a Linux patent. And that's why your Linux implementation is, um, in, uh, is infringing my patent. So um, it is very important that uh, it makes, for a, for a lot of reasons, it makes uh, pretty much sense um, to offer a free usage, yeah, to say, um, I want to invite others to use my solution uh, and I don't want to, to earn, to, to collect money, um, but I, I want to have a certain value exchange, okay, and, and I want to, whatever, I want to create a de facto standard and lots of strategies can be behind that. But first of all, we have to make sure that we can do that from a legal standpoint, and that means we have to declare that we have to clarify the ownership of on, on that thing. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. We have uh, questions from the audience. That's really fascinating. Um, I will hand the mic to Xenia Takistova. Welcome to the show, Xenia. Excellent. The question was really at the very beginning when Dr. Werzer was starting to distinguish the business model in Europe from the business method in the U.S. 
They still sound very similar to me. Can you clarify? Okay, I try to do. Um, we have that wonderful patent uh, in the United States of swinging a swing. Okay, it's a it's a method to clean um, um, to clean a room. So this is definitely not a business model. This is just a way of doing something. A business model describes um, first on the resource-based view or on the resource side with ki which kind of resources you need. And it describes on the market side how, how you collect your money, how you deliver the, uh, how do you deliver value and how you communicate that value and how you get the money for it. So, and the difference between the costs which you have to create the value and um, the money you get for the value which you are delivering, that's the profit and that is based on that business model. So swinging a swing, don't explain me that, okay? So um, uh, the, the question is, where lies the value in? Who is paying for it? How is that paying done? And in addition, when we talk about digital business models, and I'm not talking, I'm not saying that you can patent every business model. I'm saying you can patent digital business models because for a digital business model, you have to explain me where is the digital technology and what is the digital technology doing, okay? So let us assume you, you have that cleaning procedure, okay? So it's not long ago, we, um, I, I worked with a company which is in the cleaning business. And um, for example, in the cleaning business is one thing extremely important, reducing the amount of, um, of, of soap, of cleaning um, material. So, and they, they for example, have um, a technology which combines the question how to use the soap and how is the floor uh, reacting and from what is the floor, what is the material of the floor and which kind of cleaning material do you need and to optimize that and not just for the single, um, um, for the single procedure, they do that in a learning curve uh, for many different rooms, many different floors, many different materials. So, and there lies the optimization in, yeah? And this is a cost reduction effect and that creates the value and that is patented. Thank you. Welcome. I have, I have another question in my mind when we go a little bit back to um, the, the startup world um, and, and uh, how it looks like. So, My traditional way was we start working and somewhere in the future we file a patent. Uh, as far as I understand you from, from this talk right now uh, is when I continue on this path, it means that anybody in the world, when they look at my work or the work of my team, uh, they can start filing patents. They don't need to have anything produced. Um, what's the reality then for the startup in the future? I mean, you brought up the Airbnb case uh, Is that uh, happening very often in Europe that uh, smart European guys start working on something and uh, on the left side, the United States guys just looking at Europe and the Chinese guys are looking at Europe and start filing patents. Is that really happening? 
or is it just uh, in my mind? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's, that's one of the biggest issues here. That people who think that digital objects, apps, to take um, um, uh, Shazam, for example, yeah, it's one of my uh, uh, one of my cases in my lectures. Yeah, I let I ask my students, what would you say is Shazam patented? First reaction, no. So second reaction, when Alex is asking that questions, maybe yes. <laughs> So, and then how many patents? Okay, it's a, it, it, this patent portfolio, which was bought from Apple for more than 400 million, yeah, is, uh, has um, more than 200 documents. So it's heavily, heavily, heavily patented. Um, so yes, what happens, and this is the problem, people who think that cannot be patented think third parties cannot have patents. Yeah, and uh, as I try to explain, the, this this digital implementation of business models is the battlefield right now, and um, that means um, the ones who have underst understood how that game it has to be played, yes, they start with patenting and uh, and and do all the rest later on, and that means that um, you should not think that you are the first one who has a certain idea to implement a business model. Um, that means what we call freedom to operate, yeah, is nothing what you get just because you are creative, okay? Freedom to operate is hard work. That means you have an idea how to do something and then you start to look, and that should be your first assumption, Okay, where's the patent? Who has already patented that concept, that idea? And once you found that guy, you can be lucky. Okay, maybe you have five, six, maybe you have hundreds of patents which describe that. Okay, hundreds is hard, but let's say so then it was too generic. Okay, let's say you have really a smart idea and you see a bunch of patents, 10, which are um, in force. Okay. And they describe exactly what you wanted to do. It's good. That's good. You know the state of the art now. And now you start to think, how could we do what we want to do to go out of that patent? Yeah, that makes you smarter and, and faster. And that's good. Um, but you should not assume, okay, that's, that's the, so to speak, the, the, the worst thing what you could do is that you are the first one you are alone, and that cannot be patented. Uh, that, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Waiting, so to speak, with this patent question for later. So once you want to run a digital business model, the first thought should be which kind of patents are here involved. And then you solve that problem first. Do we have already actually some experience or data on how defensible these business model patents are, especially the ones that don't really have much substance to them, but they're just sort of some concept, some idea? Because if you think about therapeutics, normally you have to have a sort of baseline data set where you're like, okay, there is some effectiveness or something. So you don't just easily get it by convincing that, okay, it will work somehow. Um, so do we have any data on that already for these kind of patents? Of course, so we have here at the regional court in Munich, we have 
quite a lot of disputes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can learn a lot when we know, when we understand that uh, a Canadian company, Research in Motion, uh, the, the BlackBerry company, sues an American company, an US-based company, Facebook, at the regional court in Munich for the infringement of a digital patent, and then WhatsApp has to be reprogrammed. Yeah, so that tells us something where um, a Canadian company which wants to sue a US-based company goes to enforce the patent because WhatsApp is similar the, the, at the whole globe. So it's, it's cheap in Germany. It is very sophisticated. We have uh, lots of cases. We have most cases in Europe. Um, and we have very experienced and, um, and well-trained um, judges here. And that's the reason why companies around the globe like to come to Germany and to enforce their patents, especially the digital patents, because uh, typically digital solutions are globally. So I, um, once I have a successful app, it is, it is run on computers and as long as it is also implemented here and done here in Germany, then you can enforce your patent here. Um, yeah, but... I agree. You need. You said you need patent attorneys. Yet you need. Yes, you need good patent attorneys. Yeah. Uh, not every. So a patent attorney is not a good one just because it's a patent attorney. It's the same thing with professors. It's the same thing with doctors. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a profession. So and within that profession, you will find guys who who love like this very abstract, very. Uh, Un, so to speak, unconcrete. Not, not. You cannot see it. You cannot touch it. You cannot smell it. It's a, it's a conceptual thing, uh, which is, which is the nature of the digital solutions. So, and um, um, when you are a trained mechanical engineer, a chemist, a pharmaceutical, uh, whatever, when, when you have that classical scientific education, you don't like this kind of abstractiveness. That's normal. And um, so uh, it makes sense. Um, it makes sense that you um, um, that you look for a patent attorney who has a certain experience uh, and and also a, a kind of emotional coupling to that kind of questions. That makes a lot of sense. So don't assume that just because somebody is a patent attorney, he's also in favor for digital patents, or he's, he's really, he likes that, uh, doing that. Um, that's typically not true. And in addition, uh, quite often, these kind of things are that complex that these patents are relatively expensive in terms of, it is something different of having a mechanical embodiment and just wrapping a patent around that. So it's just describing what I see. Um, compared to working out um, for a, whatever manufacturing execution system or a software as a service system, a patent for it. Yeah, that's, that's typically more work and therefore it is a little bit more expensive. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, but in general, uh, this is what you would do. You, you, you use your 
patent attorney, this, this legal experience, and find out how do I have to formulate the issue that is technical, yeah, and that I solve a technical problem. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. We have a few questions coming in from the audience. Um, let's start with the first one. Uh, it's uh, Chama Natekwi from uh, Symptoma Austria. Chama, there is the mic. Hi, Chama. Good to see Hi, you. Hi, Christian. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, and thanks, Alex, for, for this wonderful lecture or webinar. Um, I have a really basic question. Uh, I'm almost embarrassed to ask it, but um, so as one would essentially patent an idea, what if the idea has been already made public in a movie, on a conference, at a, in a scientific paper, on a blog, anywhere? Um, can you still um can you defend yourself and say well this is not patent infringement because before the your your fight your patent this idea has already been public knowledge um or, or what are we talking about because if you're talking about ideas i think there's so much the uh, that has already been published that's a wonderful question thank you for that because again a big misunderstanding <laughs> again big confusion so um Let's say it in a formal way, okay? An idea cannot be patented. Uh, so I want to um, offer in a restaurant um, individual water to people. Yeah, nice. This is an idea. Okay, so first of all, explain me what is individual water. Okay, then explain me how would you do that? How, how would you produce, so that's, by the way, a real case, yeah? Um, how would you create individual, a personal individual water? Um, uh, what should that be? How are you doing that? How can you identify the preference? Okay, what means individual? That means, is it, is it because he's, he's looking uh, angry or, or what creates the preference for a certain water? Um, maybe a certain illness or, or the, the combination with the taste of wine. or I don't know what. But as soon as you explain me the implementation of that, it starts to become a patent. Yeah? Uh, it is patentable and it's not anymore an idea. Now you explain me how you would do that. What I talked about a little bit earlier on AI, I say... Um, be careful what you are explaining. Yeah, Maybe there are aspects which are not necessary to explain because everybody agrees that you can filter water. So uh, maybe this is not the cornerstone of your, of your idea. So the cornerstone is that you create H2O, which is not normal water, which is, which is purest water. And then you fill in again the ions. 
and CO2 and carbon and so on and create manufacture that water. And that is something different from I saw in the movie that somebody had the idea uh, to offer individualized water. Yeah, that is an idea and that is public. And by the way, it cannot be patented. But when you when you have uh, a concrete um, uh, uh, way how you realize it, then you can patent it again. But uh, and, and not again, you can patent it. Okay, but be careful. Yes, when when something is really in public, let's say um, uh, in an in a Mickey Mouse cartoon, uh, the way the way how uh, a rack is is lifted. That's an, in, it's a wonderful example out of the education of patent attorneys. Yeah. It's, um, it's done with balloons, and Mickey Mouse is doing that, or, or Donald Duck is, is with his nephews is doing that. Um, then it is, uh, yeah, it is published, and you cannot patent that method uh, because simply it's done. It's public, it's not new. Okay, because that cartoon shows you a technical implementation of the idea how to bring that um, uh, up again um, uh, on the surface of the water. Okay, so uh, let's have a borderline um, uh, case. Maybe it's a borderline, I'm not sure. Let's talk about Star Trek. Let's talk <laughs> about the artificial doctor with a tricorder. Uh, scanning uh, patients and coming up with what's wrong with them and what they need and, and healing them. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it's not only, I mean, you can extend on what an idea is or not, or, is, or, or it's not, but it's, there's there's a clear method, method there's a clear use case. Uh, there could be a business behind that. So, so now you explain me the way how you differentiate. So you get anyhow a signal. Okay, so, and now explain me um, uh, which kind of signal is that and what you're doing with it. And you have your patent. Um, because what we see in Star Trek is obviously uh, an, just an idea. We don't know how it works. And Gene Roddenberry, um, the author, yeah, uh, we, have this, um, we have this beaming. Okay. Mm. Yeah. This this, yep. this 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 relocation of objects. Yes. Um, physically, no problem. Yeah. Why not? Um, we have the atoms. Okay. We bring that to. Oh, oh we you, we have the information. Bring yes. the information to, to another place and set the use the atoms from there and, and pull it together. The only problem is the Heisenberg uh, uncertainty relation. Okay, and that tells us the Heisenberg uncertainty re uh, relation tells us that you cannot determine the place and the and, and the impulse at the same time fully accurate. So once you be better and better in the one, you lose the information of the other. So, and Gene Roddenberry uh, invented the Heisenberg uh, coils which are deep down in the ship, okay? Mm -hmm. The Heisenberg uncertainty coils. And some of the, um, at, the at, at one of these conventions, a guy asked, dear Mr. Roddenberry, how do they work? What, what yeah? And he said, thank you, well. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is exactly for what you don't get a patent for well. When you can, when you can explain me how it works, you will get your patent. 
Okay, so this is why I was asking because uh, previously and I understood that I don't have to explain how the AI is working in this case, how the beaming is working. So yeah, uh, comment, comment, comment. What I said is AI is an accepted technology. Yeah. It's like a screw. You don't have to explain each and every screw. As yeah. long as it is accepted technology, it's okay. And we, we are not in doubt that an AI can solve the problem of identification of the parasites and, and all that things which has to be done here. We, we, we are not in doubt that that could be done. And so you don't have to mention, and that's not the trick. The trick here is using a laser for solving that specific problem and, and shooting the parasites down. And don't killing the salmon, by the way. Yeah. So I'm really sorry to, to follow up just one more time on this very same topic. So the, the AI has not been accepted, uh, let's see, as a technology back when the Star Trek movie has been uh, aired and, and published. Um, so... Um, now that it's an interesting So it was back point. then only an idea. Okay, we have... The, the patent law comes from the late 19th century. Okay, so... In Germany, it was from 1870, and I guess in Austria, it's more or less the same. And um, uh, uh, most patent laws come from that time, okay, Industrial Revolution. And nowhere is a concrete description of what techno technology is, so in terms of accepted technology. Hmm. Or you can say, when you look around you, I don't know where you are, but despite of that, just look around you what you see. These colors, these chemicals, these, these um, uh, surfaces, these objects, whatever you see, these materials, nothing had existed 150 years before. That means we have an evolving techno technology term that we adapt what is accepted and working technology Uh, continuously, and yes, you're fully right, things um, uh, which we don't understand today and we cannot use natural forces to realize it in, in 20, 30 years, that will be accepted. Yeah, why not? But I would say uh, for a very concrete and uh, recommendation to real-life people with real-life problems, uh, I would say um, it is my recommendation is that you should understand your use cases and try to patent out of the out of your business model and um, concrete implementation of your use cases you find out which kind of patents you want okay and you don't need any star trek for that <laughs> okay thanks <laughs> i'm a huge fan of star trek uh let's come to the next all movies are great all movies are great let's come to the next question it's uh from malte kölner uh, welcome to the show malte thank you alex um thank you alex for this uh, fascinating insight um it's interesting that american canadian companies fight in germany over digital patterns um yeah and and, and yes I, i fully agree with you that uh, these some of Digital patterns for the technological part of a digital business model can be used for that. Um, choosing Munich as a venue, however, there may be more reasons than, than you mentioned. And I think one of the very important reasons is also that uh, 
We have this injunction gap in Germany. So this has, I admit, this is more like a comment and it has nothing to do with digital patents, but that can be a very important reason why they chose Germany. Uh, I can't explain what the injunction gap is, but I don't have to. Okay. Thank you, Alex. That's, that's the pity with the patent attorneys. <laughs> Okay, now I, I get, yes, that could be a reason, of course, no question, of, no, no, no doubt about that. But um, we have here, the audience here is, um, uh, uh, I guess, more interested on the, on the basics. Um, and yes, um, it's a, patent laws is very complex and uh, it is uh, based on every country. And so, um, Yeah, very, very specific details, but I try to give a general recommendation and this general recommendation to our community is that uh, don't start with technical thinking, um, uh, start with what is the cornerstone of your business and your use cases and try to get that patented. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Excellent. Thanks, Malte, for your question. Let's uh, let's go to the next one. Um, the next question comes from Ronald uh, Ziga. Welcome to the show, Ronald. Well, thank you for this really interesting um, and easy digestible information. I have a question regarding... Um, how to start a guided process within the uh, law authority or in the patent authority and uh, how to find a certain specialist for each technology or environment the company is working in. Thank you. Okay, so first of all, ask the person. Okay, so um, typically that helps. Um, uh, you Maybe you know that after 18 months, um, uh, you have... Uh, access, so you the the patent is published. So you you should simply ask that guy for some examples of the work. Um, in addition, you can make your own retrieval. So you just go into the database as Basnet or whatever, and um, and look for 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 your specific. Um, technology or, or, or idea and um, uh, and look for the guys who who patent that yeah the the uh, representation um, representative um, so you find experts also in LinkedIn so I I think that's a very good way um, so when you make for example when you check what Malte Kölner who is a patent attorney is saying and publishing uh, via LinkedIn, you can find out whether he is an expert in that field. And um, uh, so simply because 
he is discussing that and he is uh, publishing uh, on that issues. So it's the same procedure as you would try to find out who's a, who is an expert in a certain research field. Okay, So somebody who is not working there, somebody who is not publishing there, is not speaking there, is most likely not really an expert in that. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, second question. So there are more than just one um, authorities, patent authorities out there, and uh, to find the best one for a specific uh, business model, it's like uh, it's like to find a needle in the hay. And when we when I think to life science, there's so many uh, self-designated uh, persons out there. Everyone is a specialist. Is there any trusted third party where to find a contact uh, who will be trustable for people there who are new to the uh, law authority business or to the IP business? Is it IP Austria? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have a strong attention to say, uh, go to uh, the guys who studied um, my program in Strasbourg, but I don't say that. Um, what I'm saying <laughs> is uh, it could make sense that, for example, the office where, where this guy works, um, so typically you need a combination. Yeah, you, you would need a guy who is uh, who has a certain... Um, experience in life science and also you need somebody who understands the digital components of it yeah and uh, a very good combination is when you have that both resources for example in one office or even in one person yeah so um, and you again you find uh, you find that out of the uh, patents which are already uh, published And uh, and you can check that. And I'm absolutely sure that when you talk with that patent attorney after uh, 50 minutes, you know whether this guy is understanding you. And I mean really, and an, an, uh, also from an from an emotional point of view, understanding you and 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 can help you, or you are talking with windmills. And then I would stop it. <laughs> Thank you for the for, for the answers. Yeah, because at the end. It, Yeah, welcome. At the end, you need somebody who is fighting for you. Yeah, he's really you. He has to be a certain needs a certain um, um, passion for for that. Um, and sh he, this person should fall in love to a certain extent to your idea. Should have to fight for it um, that you both get that patent, and and it is a fight. Yeah, I don't say that it is easy. I never said that. Um, I don't say it's not complex and all that things. And so you need really a guy who is with you and wants that this becomes a success for you both. And then I would say you have somebody which 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 you can work with. As I said, I think it's it's uh, very easy to find a specialist under every second stone, but uh, a life science specialist. Uh, maybe is a is a digital business model illiterate and to find uh, both the, both of the topics in one person or uh, at least at, at, at one um, uh, IP bureau will be hard to find but yeah we will we will take a look and thank you I can also relate to that from my experience when I was working still for Oxford University Innovation we had a a number of patent attorneys really enlisted on a number of different cases or across disciplines and you could really see huge uh, quality differences and kind of 
who was better and who was maybe not so good um, and who was really, really bad. And I think one uh, piece of advice that Professor Woods also gave about looking into what kind of patterns someone has already written and sometimes also just looking through the publicly available information, how they were actually fighting this case and how many uh, applications were actually granted or rejected in the end can also give you a little bit of an indication how uh, experienced uh, these people are also in that respective field. Thank you. This was exactly not what I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I agree. And to a certain extent, um, uh, that can be an indicator, the granting rate. But take into account that it is not always the objective of getting a patent granted. So it is an absolute normal legal strategy to file a patent for something where you know that this won't be ever patented. For what reason? but there is a patent application that is published. And that means nobody else could get that patent. Nowhere on that planet. Yeah. So it, it can be, or it is really a strategy to get, uh, uh, for example, a freedom to operate for something very specific that you say, okay, we file it. And we make sure that it is in the database and every kind of, and we make very clear on the title on everything, it will be found. And it is our um, the documentation that whoever will try to get the patent, we already published it, and so it can't be new. Yeah, and this is one of the provisions to get a to get a patent. So that I just want to mention that again, it, things become complex. Yeah, um, I just want to mention that granting rate um, for another other reasons too is not that cornerstone it is a hint of course when a guy never get a patent granted <laughs> he has a problem anyway um, uh, but uh, you should be a little bit careful with that because sometimes the patent attorneys are not the ones who decide that they are just the instrument to realize a certain strategy um, from their clients okay just to mention to be fair yeah thank you yeah, I think it's uh, the entrepreneur's job uh, to find the needle in the haystack. And I completely agree. I mean, uh, whenever I hear the term attorney, um, people should be aware of that they need to find a man or a woman. I also learned that women are great in fighting, um, who really fights for their clients and not against their clients. Um, let's go to the next question. It's from Marcos Kaufmann. Marcos, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank, thank you very much for um, for the very insightful uh, talk. Uh, I, I guess uh, from my point of view, I have a, a little bit of experience on um, business models and innovation in manufacturing, which is a very traditional sector. And uh, what is absolutely gobsmacking is the lack of understanding, uh, as you said, of uh, what business models are to begin with but also the lack of understanding of what IP really means and, uh, and how to protect it and to profit from it. So I, I guess I, I would like to, to, to ask if you have any suggestions and any insights uh, regarding how to, to develop some of this practical knowledge around IP protection for digital business models. And also, uh, how would you go about building some of that knowledge into the curriculum for multiple disciplines 
you know, people in social sciences, people in computer science and engineering need to know uh, more about these topics in order for us as, as an overall, uh, you know, society to benefit from it. Okay. Thank you for for asking that questions. I, I did not pay you for that, but that's really great because that gives me now the opportunity to starting my advertisement. Um, <laughs> um, okay, first of all, you see the logo. Um, um, uh, there, there is this IP Business Academy, which is uh, active on, on the internet. It's a website from my university, University of Strasbourg, and also it's on LinkedIn, very active, IP Business Academy. And there are well, tons of material available, case studies, um, uh, uh, teaching uh, material, uh, lectures, uh, everything free of charge. Okay, and in addition, uh, of course, you can you can walk into one of my certificate courses, but that costs money. But um, what we also offer is a free of charge training program. Um, from uh, uh, public funded um, where uh, we explain how to create digital objects to make them patentable. And uh, so I can only recommend to you, get in touch with me via LinkedIn, for example, and uh, we can organize such a free of charge um, uh, training program. That's great. Thank, thank you very much. Welcome. That's good to hear. So well, thanks for the commercial, <laughs> for the advertisement. Uh, we, we, we do whatever we can to improve the knowledge on that issue. <laughs> that's that's a very good idea. That's a very good idea. And I will post the links to your LinkedIn profile uh, in the description of the podcast later on. So you should not be surprised when some people reach out to you. Let's... Well, uh, <laughs> let's go to the next question. It's uh, Thomas Lutz. Thomas, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. So maybe I missed it earlier um, and forgive me if I did, but what are actually the best examples of already patented um, and accepted digital business models? Because I did a quick search for patents of business models and a lot of them seem either to be never accepted or later retracted because the applicants um, didn't pay the fees actually. So what are some really great examples Um where you could look at and see how they did it, how they described it. Um, that would be interesting. Thank you. Yeah, you, you missed more or less the whole show, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, really, I, I really tried to explain that it is not a good idea uh, to describe a business model for patenting it. I never said that. So maybe that's the, that's the worst practice, okay? Uh, no, that doesn't work. First of all, it is the digital implementation of the, let's say, technical issues, which makes this uh, a business model unique. That is what you patent. And I can tell you, uh, you won't find that when you look for it in terms of, I can read um, the patent and I understand the use case. I can show you patents and we do that. For example, for the gamification um, from, from Nike, okay? A wonderful use case. Um, and so gamification means that you, 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 um, um, you motivate people uh, to have a challenge with each other and that you, you, you can um, 
yeah, have an have an exchange, and uh, you get a certain award. And the whole thing, the whole gamification uh, issue, is patented by Nike. So uh, of running, yeah, when you make gamification of something else, you can patent again, but then the implementation of that kind of gamification. Um, what I said is, uh, you can observe the pattern. So first of all, you can download some of my case studies. Okay, and there there is described. So from the fleet management from Hilti, um, or uh, one of the newest from Ping and Good Doctor, the digital um, uh, the digital uh, patient journey. Um, that, so that's fascinating what Ping and Good Doctor is doing there. And we, we describe that and we publish it and just read that. Then take the examples, okay, and then read the patent. And after you understood the case, the business case, the, the business model, you will understand why this patent protects a cornerstone of that business model. But when I show you the patent and you don't know the business case or the use case, it's just a, yeah, it's a patent like thousands others too. That, that's the trick, so to speak. A digital patent can only be analyzed and understood typically once you understand already the business case. Uh, standalone, it's, yeah, it's a technical problem, which is also a technical issue. And sometimes it takes really time to explain people why this specific technical issue um, uh, protects an, an use case, yeah, um, because it's this is it's not a one-to-one. -one, so you don't describe the use case per se. Uh, typically, what you're doing is you find out what are the what are the technical tricks, the issue which has to be solved, and that is patented, and this is the keyhole. Okay. Thanks for explaining. Welcome. I have a question. You mentioned the gamification that Nike filed a patent in gamification of running, if I understood it right. So does that practically mean, I mean, I love running. So, and I love computer games. And uh, sometimes I think, why not put out an app on the market uh, that gives rewards to runners, uh, which basically is a sort of gamification. Uh, would that mean if if I pursue so, such an idea that I should expect if in case the idea works well and uh, delivers money that Nike one day might knock on my door and say, what about a license deal? <laughs> would you like uh, yeah. us into the game? I would I would assume that just say shoot it down, mm. <laughs> close it. Okay, uh, yes, uh, you should expect that, and. Uh, For an example, yeah, let us assume you want to improve a running shoe, okay? You would never start with the idea to put a sensor in it and to use that data then um, for a competition with others. Never ever. This is maybe even the, the shoe is not that perfect with the sensor, that it would be without the sensor, okay? So you make the shoe not better. But this sensor gives you data for the use case of gamification. So that's a wonderful example 
that you would never come to the idea of putting a sensor into a shoe as long as you just want to improve shoes. But as, long as, as soon as you start to think about a use case, you, you, you understand that this is first an invention, which can be patented, and second, that it opens you um, the accessibility of a gamification use case. That's exactly what I'm saying. But as long as somebody just thinks about running shoes, for what should I integrate and censor in it? I have many issues. Data, data is data is there. Training data, it, it's everything. I mean, fantastic and right. Yeah, but, then it is, stuff, so. but then it is again. Then you think about the training. Mm -hmm. It's not the shoe. You mm -hmm. do you. The shoe is not improved by improving your 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 training. That's again. That's the next use case. Okay, that's true. Um, so basically, what does that mean now for our startup companies here here in Europe? Um, I think many of them are just just working on things. Uh, it sounds to me what what would your advice be to them at at this point? Uh, what what's the what's the critical thing they should they should start looking at when it comes to IP rights? Um, the first and most important thing is thinking about uh, use cases, business model, business models, um, user journeys, customer journeys. Uh, you should not start with technology when you think about patents. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's not helpful. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is as soon as possible, it can't be too early, think about patents. Yeah? So um, try to understand what's going out there. Don't, don't assume you are the first one. Yeah, that's that's the most important understanding, and this is not bad. Yeah, it, it, the other way around, this is wonderful because that means somebody made already the work to describe that. Maybe it is a granted patent, maybe not. Whatever, but you will find um, a way how your business model implementation is already described. Okay. And then start to work. Use your creativity, use your imagination uh, to improve that, to make it better, to make the use case better, to make the customer experience better, to make the uh, to make to create higher value. And that will lead you to a really good business model. And that, that's the that's the general recommendation. We have another question coming in from the audience. Uh, it's coming from Kira Borkat. Uh, welcome to the show, Kira. Hi there. Do you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Welcome. Okay. Thanks. It was a great, great, great talk. Very important for us. We are a startup. And uh, actually, I'm not going to tell you right now, but... Um, whom would I go to? Um, because, you know, I talked to so many people and all uh, always I got the answer, no, 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 you're a software as a service business, your idea, it's not patentable. So now I have the idea uh, and I learned a lot. I know exactly exactly that it's really a new thing it's a new customer experience and a better one so what would be my next step to look for 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 what an attorney in austria or or should i contact you or how how do i continue okay so 
simply because I would like that this is finished sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> write me an email. Okay. Okay. And yeah. I, I will. I will try to take care. My first reaction as a teacher is you should get informed. So that means uh, we could, for example, do for you or your company um, this free of charge education part. I can send you material, um, and of course, we will find a partner, Tony, for you. Great, great. Thanks a lot. Welcome. You're welcome. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Wurzer, thank you very much for your time. And uh, oh, I, I don't want to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have so, so much so much more questions uh, in my mind, uh, but I think that uh, probably also other people would like to speak to you after after five thirty p.m. Or are you good to go for another half hour? No, no problem. I'm I'm sitting here very well. Okay, okay. Um, then I come up with my questions. <laughs> um, yeah. let's let's go a little bit back to the to the to that situation with the United States and China. It sounds to me that they are further advanced uh, in their thinking of uh, filing digital patents than the Europeans. Um, how 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 far advanced are they really? How how active are they in that field? Mm -hmm. oh. Okay, so um, the point is um, we, we should have to define advancement. Okay, what means advanced? Um, it is a fact that in the United States and in Asia, there is not that kind of, of engineering and scientific background uh, and, and, and kind of thinking of mindset when it comes to IP. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can say, you can say it in that way, they are much more relaxed on that. In terms of, um, I would say, um, they are, the, this, this when, when you talk with a typical Austrian or German engineer and it comes to, patent, to patents, you will hear that, yeah, only rocket science and only really important breakthroughs can become a patent, okay? So like Mr. Bosch, Mr. Siemens, uh, Mr. Daimler, yeah? that are the people who received patents because of their groundbreaking inventions. So, and that's, that's a kind of mindset, okay? That means um, uh, a patent is a kind of inventor award, yeah? And unfortunately, to a certain extent, what we do at the EPO is that with this inventor of the year, we even foster that. Yeah? Um, but from a US perspective, and also for many Asian countries, it is a legal tool. This is business. Yeah? And like for many things, you have, to, you have a certain triviality barrier. Okay? So you can say all the simple business models are already done. So you need a, bit, a little bit more sophisticated one yeah, to be successful. So you have in many areas, you have a certain triviality barrier, which is mm -hmm. there. But once you are uh, beyond that, you can get your patent. The question is, which one do you want to have? And who you want to forbid something? And, and how deep your pockets? And, and all the questions. But not that you have to be a rocket science engineer. That's not. 
And so it is simply that they have a different perspective on that legal uh, instrument first. Mm -hmm. Second, second, especially for the U.S. guys, um, legal issues are a cornerstone of making business. Yeah, that's sometimes for, for European people that is strange that so even when you have a negotiation with an, with an U.S. business guy, typically the attorney is sitting next to him. Yeah? So, so having a legal issue, so making business is to a certain extent always having a legal issue. Yeah? So that's not the way we think about that. So uh, typically Europeans say, uh, yeah, we have that legal framework and, and now let's make business. Yeah? So it's a separated area, so to speak. Um, and the next thing is, that um, um, that U.S. guys and, and and Asians have a strong asset orientation, especially U.S. That means they think in assets. So this patent has to make money because it's an asset. Asset means uh, productive property. So where's the product? Why? How can that thing be productive? And you come and start with some licensing thinking or whatever. It's an asset, yeah. and and it's not an it's not an award for an inventor, yeah, for who who made a rocket science invention. So and finally, and that's around the globe true, um, uh, that uh, not the patent law has changed. Yeah, because of the digital patents. What has changed is that different people using the patent law in different ways. That means not the engineer who is proud that his machine works now wants a patent for the working mechanism of that machine on which he uh, worked for years. Yeah, Rudolf Diesel. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a software guy thinks in a totally different way. So the coding, what we would call the production, yeah, or, or the, the to make really the thing happen, it's boring. It's boring work typically. So what is fascinating, thrilling, where is the intelligence in it, is the is the architecture of a solution, is the way how that could be implemented. Mm-hmm. So and so they think on a on a completely different abstract way and they patent exactly that. So they look on the world because they are they 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 are used that the world for them is infrastructure. Yeah? So that a computer so they don't care about computers. That's just a machine. Okay? I'm looking for the architecture of my solution. So this is a totally different way of thinking compared to our IoT thinking. So I have a physical object and then I bring it into the cloud. Yeah, this is IoT thinking from from the physical world up in the cloud. And these guys thinking exactly the opposite. They live in the cloud and all what is necessary to realize and use cases infrastructure. So look at the patent portfolio from, um, from Spotify. Yeah. You you won't find their patents about loudspeakers, um, uh, how to make sound, or, or that that's infrastructure. It is there. They have patents on the question: uh, what what part of a song should I present to Christian 
that he will like that song. Not just which song, which part of the song is critical for Christian that he will like it. So that's a wonderful patent. And that, that doesn't care how you're listening to that, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of loudspeakers of earphones, I don't care. So and the opposite is, is Sonos. Sonos is thinking from loudspeakers and to bring that loudspeakers into the cloud. That is, I know it's a US-based company, but that's European thinking. Yeah. So, and when you when you are natural born in the cloud, yeah, you um, you write different patterns and you use the patent on a totally different way. Like you make software, you you understand the concepts, the architecture, the implementation. That's enough. The rest is infrastructure. Like the AI for the Selman guy. No, I uh, absolutely agree. I think we have to change our mindset a little bit or shift our mindset more to. To the thinking of the United States guys. I think China, China was very successful in that. And I was very often thinking about what, why is Tesla, for example, what makes Tesla so valuable uh, compared to the German car makers? Uh, very often I hear the argument, uh, Tesla is producing cars, Volkswagen is producing cars, uh, Volkswagen, I think it's worth 80 billion or something right now. Uh, if I got it right, and Tesla, no, for 300 billion. So I think what you said, uh, Europe is uh, product thinking and uh, we're putting product uh, to work. We're producing products, um, whereas the Americans are more into the idea world, use case world, business world, defined it very nicely as a cloud, cloud thinking. Uh, maybe the, the value of Tesla is the patents they filed and the data they generate. And this opens up a new range of ideas how to do business because basically when you look at the patent as an asset, not as a price, there are so many ways to make money with that. Uh, one thing is to put it into reality as a company, but this is very expensive. Uh, but the other thing that you mentioned is licensing. And it looks like uh, the Americans are probably going into that direction. Uh, do you see it uh, similar? Yeah, of course. Um What I said with the different ways of thinking, so mm -hmm. bottom up or top down, yeah, can you see exactly between? It's, it's exactly the, the difference between what Tesla is doing yeah. and what the typical German car manufacturer is doing uh, or, or are doing. Um, what we see here in Germany is that we start with a car, and then we ask the question. Uh, how can that car goes into the internet? Okay, this mm -hmm. is IoT thinking. Okay, you have the physical object, then you have the layer of sensors and actuators, then you have the layer of communication, then you have the layer of analytics, and you, you end up with the layer of services. So, um, but it starts with the, you know, Uh, a long time, it's, it's not that long time ago that for a typical European engineer, the question, which kind of business model runs your company was to a certain extent unethical or, or not discussable. What, what does that mean, business model? So I'm an engineer. I'm creating a wonderful product It's fascinating. It's, it's, it's world-class. And all what I'm doing is I'm giving that to a third party, to my customer, and my customer gives me money for that. Where's the issue with the business model? I don't understand that. 
And it's not that long ago that when you go to a, let's say, typical European engineering company and talk to the CTO or CEO and you talk about business models, that, that was not discussable. Yeah. And, and even the, 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 the reason, why should we talk about that? So, and, um, and what we learn with the digital transformation is that one of the cornerstone is how to make a smart business model around your idea and around your product. And, um, and yeah, talk, you can go to Miele and ask 300 engineers, are you really sure that people want to buy washing machines? I don't believe that. I accept that your job depends on the fact that people are buying washing machines. But aren't you, you don't think that once somebody sneaks around the corner and gives the people a new deal, I don't know which kind of deal, but at the end, it fulfills the need of having clean clothes in my, uh, uh, in my room, in my, in, in my carpet. And once this comes, you can go with your washing machines wherever you want. Because people don't want to buy washing machines. They want to have clean clothes. Yeah. So, And we saw that in so many cases that now uh, people start... CEOs, CTOs start to become nervous. And this is exactly what we can learn from Tesla. They don't want to build a car in, at the cornerstone. So what they are looking for is, how can we create use cases to coming from A to B and using a car for that? But they are totally open to the question, um, how could we realize use cases? And yes, to a certain extent, we need something which can drive and yeah, but um, it is infrastructure for realizing use cases. And once you think in that way, you come to a multitude of solutions and uh, only a few of them have this IoT logic. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we need that big screen in the car. <laughs> Yeah. I have another question because um, uh, sort of the whole discussion got, got me to think about, is there actually a place for trade secrets in uh, digital companies or digital innovation companies? Because, um, you know, the past years we've always been saying, well, if you can keep it a secret, if someone can't really easily sort of reverse engineer your product, then it's better to keep it secret because otherwise if you reveal it via a patent, then there is a risk that they could sort of find their way around and maybe sort of um, um, get your business in there. So if we think about these uh, business models now, and if we think that, okay, we've got now our trade secret, but someone else comes up with a similar idea, but just puts a patent on it, then it could well be that suddenly from today to tomorrow, my IP strategy was keep it a secret, which was actually pretty stupid in the end. Naya, uh, that's a very general question. Mm. And there is no general recommendation. Okay, that's the typical lawyer recommendation. It depends. So <laughs> um, my learning uh, over the last uh, years was that people underestimate, they overestimate the effort getting patents, and they dramatically underestimate the effort to keep a secret secret. Yeah, um, That means, especially when you grow 
that's extremely difficult. So um, I've worked, for example, with Airbus. And till today, the Chinese are not able to produce a commercial airplane. That's a fact. Even when Airbus is manufacturing the A320 in China. So I would say they did their job very well, what means proliferation or knowledge transfer so far. But it is a huge effort, okay, to make sure that every worker only knows what this worker has to know and, uh, and so on, yeah? So um, what I want to say is uh, secrets, trade secrets are, an, a, a, yes, it's a, a very common tool, but it is very complex. It is hard work to manage that. Once you do it right, it is, it is very good. Yeah, um, but it is first of all not or very bad or nearly not enforceable. So when somebody is able to copy you, you are copied. Um, uh, on the other hand, around uh, coming from a business perspective, having an enforceable patent, yeah, which describes not an individual single techno technological solution which describes a business model and the access to a business model or business or use case this um, um, one thing okay use cases um, typically come from the customer otherwise it wouldn't be a use case and the customer are teached they learn something how to do something okay for example for a long time it was normal to do this, this thing, okay, slide to open, yeah, to use your thumb and you describe a certain, a certain trajectory um, on the screen of your mobile phone, of your smartphone to open the smartphone, to, to, to switch the status. So um, that was one of the most valuable patents on that planet. Why? Not because it is rocket science, because the people were trained, they were expecting that this happens. That's the reason why Samsung infringed it. Not because Samsung is stupid or they, they are not clever to bypass or whatever. No, the customers forced them. Okay, we call that a dominant design. So uh, James Utterbach coined that terminology. And when your use case becomes the dominant design for certain user group and you have patented that, that has a huge value. So people think, when, when, when you think in that way, so first of all, a product is not an object. A product is a bundle of argumentations. And this bundle of argumentation fits with the expectations of your customers. So when you then are able to offer use cases which train, which teach your customers. And this and the implementation of these use cases is patent protected and the argumentations are unique and patent protected. That, that's where you want to be. And that's, yeah, one of our case studies is the, the Thermomix. And whether you like it or not, but um, it has a reason that a relatively small, a comparable small company like Vorwerk dominates the market of these smart kitchen machines. And this is not 
that um, uh, Kenwood, Bosch, these huge companies are stupid. No, it is simply that the Thermomix and the way how the Thermomix works and the use cases which are realized are the dominant design how to do it. And that is patented and that it cannot be simply bypassed by others because customers expect that. And this expect you can say you patent customer expectation or the realization of the customer expectation and you teach the customers. And this is a sustainable competitive advantage. And I would invest in that. We have another question from, from Chama. Chama, welcome back. Yeah, thanks again, Christian, and thanks, Alex. Um, so the other side would be freedom to, to operate. And um, you just um, showed on, well, um, if you have um, a concept and um, in a use case, a user journey and so forth, first, what you should then do is to actually think about patents and which uh, first of course means uh, freedom to operate and then i was surprised because you said well if i find that for this very use case that i had in mind there are six different patents in place that in somehow would infringe my uh, uh, my my business idea that this wasn't would actually not be a problem in terms of at least you 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 know now <laughs> that the uh, the infringement infringements might be there but the question would be um is there a general tactic or how to approach it if there 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 are many patents that could be infringed and how do you differentiate how do you design in order to not infringe the, um, the, the the patents and still can actually pursue with your um, yeah with your business idea uh, in without having to pay like uh, <laughs> the the money of a bully that uh, that just has a pendant like the IBM uh, Airbnb case. Yeah, especially Airbnb should should have been a little bit more careful. Mm, okay. Um, okay, so mm, again. It's a huge question, okay? Okay, so um, make me the question smaller because if you're talking about Airbnb and, and, and IBM and you say Airbnb was not careful, would Airbnb have had a chance 10 years ago in order to not infringe the IBM patents back of then? Of course, of course. Um, uh, typically, you have, you have to you, you choose um, once you make your homework, um, then you choose whether you want to infringe or not. And um, I would say the assumption is that behind a certain business logic, behind a certain business mechanics, like um, offering individualized advertisements on a, on a business platform, the assumption should be that this is patented. Now, that's, that's what, I, what I really try to convey here, that as long as when you do something and you can put digital on it, yeah, your assumption should be it is patented. And, that, and then you start to work. That's the point. And um, uh, you, have, you, you need help, of course. Yeah? Uh, it, is not, it is not that, that you, you can everything. You need a an, um, an tax a uh, consultant you need um, somebody who helps you at the at the sales uh, department or with the sales or whatever you need an r&d department and r&d uh, help maybe 
And so you should have help in the IP world and you need that. And your investors should know that, that this is a cornerstone of a strategy. And um, we, we, my, expect, or my experience is that even in big deals, yeah, we had such a deal two years ago in the automotive industry. A big deal. It was a, a multi-hundred million dollar deal. So, and the ex the 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 uh, um, you would expect that they have enough money on both sides to pay the best lawyers and the best accounting uh, um, uh, experts. It turned out that all these guys. Uh, oversee, uh, oversee the, the major problem that the product, why that company was bought, was not licensed. It's an infringing product. And they have never tried, it was a connectivity product, okay? And they have never tried to get a license for it. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that... Um, uh, Maybe the one had no compliance, IP compliance, and the other had no um, due diligence, no IP due diligence. And what I'm saying is the more intangible, the more digital the things become, the more important is it to make the homework on the IP side. But unfortunately, what we see out there is that the practice is the opposite, yeah? That people think these digital things have nothing to do with IP, like in the open source discussion some minutes ago. So my recommendation is that investors, startups should make their homework, should look for support uh, to make sure that on the IP side, things are um, done and safe. And working with bypasses, with assumptions, which are based on misunderstanding and especially not no education. Yeah? So you wouldn't do your tax on your own for your company because it's too complex, typically. Why should you do your IP work on your own when you have no education on it? That's, that's all what I'm saying. Okay, thanks. Okay, so it's it's hard for me uh, to to keep my children uh, quiet. So it's it's like a bomb, okay. And so the the <laughs> the pressure, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it becomes higher every minute. <laughs> I fully understand so that. I have, to, I have to I have to assume that sooner or later this bomb explodes there. Yeah. And so I would like to stop here. Um, maybe when there is an interest, we, we can we can do it. Uh, well, I don't know, half a year or a year later again, or yeah. something like that. Would be, would be a great thing. I think there are many many things to discuss. I really like the points you made about different mindsets, and I think we have to implement that better in Europe. I would like to thank you very 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 much for your time and extending uh, the time frame we have set for half an hour it's really interesting to listening to you and uh, I can recommend everybody go to any seminar webinar of Professor Wurzer to learn more thank you very much Astrid for putting that together and to have you on the team it's 
great, great help. And thanks also to everybody who was listening. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.